God, we thank you for uh, this Lord's Day. Thank you for the chance to gather together as your people uh, who believe the same gospel, bow the knee to the same Lord, have been given the same spirit, have undertaken the same baptism, uh, confess the same faith. God, we thank you that you have made us one because you have made us one with yourself through your son, Jesus, by the Spirit. And so we come to you today in Jesus' name uh, because of what he has done for us, not because we are righteous, but because of your rich mercy. God, I pray that you would uh, bless us during this hour by turning us from wickedness and cultivating in us a desire for righteousness and a desire to love one another better. And I pray that you would use your word uh, to make your servants more like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it's good to see all of you again. Uh, As you probably know, just in case some of you don't, uh, we are going through a series on community based loosely on the flow of thought in Jerry Bridges' True Community. We took a break from this last week for prayer and praise, uh, but we're back on the horse in the saddle today. Just as a quick review, um, in the beginning of this book, Bridges outlines four senses that the Bible talks about our community, the nature of our fellowship, four aspects of it. If you remember, one was relationship. That is the objective common life that we share. Um, Two was partnership. We are partners in a common pursuit. We have a common objective. And then we share with one another spiritually and materially. And uh, the Bible is speaks in all four of these avenues of our community, and specifically uh, the, the Greek word koinonia and the word, uh, word family, uh, that the other words that orbit around that word. Um, and we've said that our union and our communion with Christ is the foundation for all of that. So this week's big idea, we're actually going to be talking about two of those aspects Uh, both how we share with one another spiritually and how we partner with one another in the gospel. So printed on your handout, this week's big idea is because of our union with one another, we are called to pursue each other's spiritual good, spiritual fellowship, and to pursue the spiritual good of others together, which is partnership in the gospel. So because we're one in Christ, we aim to do spiritual good to each other and with each other to others. So in spiritual fellowship, we're aiming at each other. And in partnership in the gospel, together, we're aiming at other people, uh, and specifically to bring the gospel to the lost. So we'll start with spiritual fellowship. If you look on your handout, uh, this is Bridges language, what that is, says, just as we have union with each other, we should have communion with one another. 
that is, sharing with one another on a close and spiritual level in which the subject matter is focused on God as well as his word and his works, which is another way, I think, of saying we pursue each other's spiritual good, the building up of the body. Um, So first, I think we need to to point out right at the outset that that engaging in this avenue of fellowship is a non-negotiable of the Christian life. I've heard Mark Dever say, I think he's right, he says, if you say, I'm not trying to help anyone else follow Jesus, then I don't understand what you mean when you say you're following Jesus. Part of the follow me call that Jesus issued to those first disciples was to be fishers of men, right? He didn't say, follow me, and that's it. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Um, Likewise, another theologian says, says it this way, infers from the vast number of the one another commands in Scripture that make it plain our spiritual health depends on one another, both on what other believers do for us and what we do for them. Essential for the Christian life. Uh, Which is another way of saying, as your handout indicates, that you are both needy and needed. And I got that phraseology from a book I'll read from in a little bit later, uh, Side by Side, by Ed Welsh. Um, Give some really practical suggestions for how we do this, cultivate this kind of uh, community, pursuing each other's spiritual good. Uh, the, the verses that, that I've listed here to uh, prop up this, this proposition, that you are both needy and needed for the spiritual health of everyone, is a 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Hebrews 13.18. You don't have to look them up because both of them say the same thing. Brothers, pray for us. They're both just bald requests for prayer. So uh, that clearly, asking for prayer, is an indication of their need for God, but also their need for their brothers, right? They can pray to God themselves, but they nevertheless come to their brothers with their spiritual health, their, their objectives. So asking for prayer is actually a really beautiful picture of this. It demonstrates that our ultimate need is for God, but at the same time, a healthy understanding of this need for God manifests itself, in part, in a recognition of need for other believers. Making that same point... Uh, in a pretty profound way, I think, is Romans 1, 11 and 12, if you'll turn there. Romans 1, 11 and 12. This is, of course, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, a church he's never been to. And as you turn there, uh, let me emphasize again that this is the Apostle Paul, a man who has seen the risen Lord with his own eyes. And this is what he says. Verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So we're comfortable with that, right? Uh, We are needy. We need things that the Apostle Paul can do for us and teach us spiritually. But then look at verse 12. That is... 
that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's a wonderful sentiment, isn't it? Um, to hear someone like you or me say that, let's be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That's nice. That's sweet. Right? To hear the Apostle Paul say something like that is astounding. Paul said elsewhere, he said, the gospel that I preach in Galatians 1, I didn't receive from man. I wasn't taught it by man. I received the gospel from a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you remember in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I have a thorn in the flesh God gave me. Why? So that I wouldn't be conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that were given to me. This Paul that God revealed himself to in extraordinary, unfathomable ways, says to the church in Rome, I want to come to you so that I can be encouraged by the faith that is in you. 1 Corinthians 12, 21, you don't need to turn there. That's the verse that says, no part of the body can say to the other part, I have no need of you. So, uh, aside from the fact that this is needful, we pursue each other's spiritual good, we might be helped by asking, how needful is this? Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews, says that our spiritual fellowship with one another, our seeking each other's spiritual good, is so important that it's part of the means by which God keeps us following Jesus. Part of what God uses to make us persevere to the end and so be saved. Look at Hebrews 3 with me. I can demonstrate this. Hebrews 3, starting in verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12 says, Take care, brothers. So, all of you, plural. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, so what should you do about this? How should you uh, carry out this um, injunction? Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why should we exhort one another so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Because of verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hebrews 10.24 makes the same point. If you turn there a few pages. Hebrews 10.24 Thinking again of, of spiritual fellowship, communicating to each other on a close, intimate, spiritual level to promote one another's spiritual health. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I'll take a quick time out to say, usually we use that first half of the verse to say, go to church. And we should. Don't neglect meeting together. 
but then it tells us what you should do instead. And he doesn't say, but continue to meet together. Come to church. It is that, obviously, but it's not just that. What does it say? But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why do this? Look at verse 26. For is, therefore, because if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Um, Jason reminded me this week, I think he's over here. I'm not pointing at him. There he is. Okay. Jason reminded me this week of a sermon that John Piper preached on these verses, and his title for that message, I think, was both provocative and appropriate. He said, eternal security is a community project. What does this mean? These verses, what does it mean? So God is sovereign over both ends and the means to those ends. And the spiritual fellowship we have with one another is part of God's chosen means for accomplishing his chosen end of your salvation, of your persevering in the faith until the end. It's that important. You really are both needy and needed. So we think about this. Uh, Pursuing each other's spiritual good and how important it is and how we're both needy and needed. But us? Can we really do this? Can I really do this? So it's easy for me to embrace the fact that I'm needy and even perhaps act on that truth that I am needy. But how do I begin doing others' spiritual good in the body? If that's you, let me start with a word of encouragement that the recognition of your own neediness is part of what qualifies you to help others. Um, Welch, in that book, Side by Side, you want me to hold it up again? Says it like this. For people like me, who are willing to move toward other struggling people, but are not confident that they can say or do anything very helpful, if you feel quite weak and ordinary, if you feel like a mess, but have the spirit, you have the right credentials. You are one of the ordinary people God uses to help others. Not only that, but your neediness is the very thing that qualifies you to help others. Your neediness, offered well to someone else, can be one of the great gifts you give your church. You will inspire others to ask for help. If we jump right to helping others, being needed, um, without revealing our own neediness, we put humility at risk. It only takes a few seconds to recognize a slick consultant who merely dispenses answers in contrast to one who is needy before God, has walked a similar path of transparency, and now sits humbly with us, side by side. So the spiritual fellowship uh, that we're called to have and cultivate is predicated upon this kind of humility and openness that attends the recognition uh, that you're needy. Uh, so you say again, all right, I'm with you so far, but, but tell me how to do this. Fortunately for us, uh, our handout goes there next. 
How do we go about this? Well, first, a quick note on qualifications. And by qualifications, I mean both what qualifies you to um, do this kind of personal ministry for others and to receive this kind of personal ministry from others. The first one is walking with God. Bridges says we cannot have meaningful fellowship with one another unless we are individually experiencing vital fellowship with God. And again, if we are not having communion with God and learning from him, then we will have nothing to share with others. I think there's not much elaboration needed at that point, um, but let me emphasize it perhaps even more strongly by saying that, that there is probably nothing you can do to improve the experience of the communion you have with one another than to improve your effort in fellowship with God. And uh, I'm preaching to my own soul there too. Uh, Bridges also teaches, I think he's right, that fellowship with God is essential not only for doing this kind of ministry, also for receiving this kind of ministry, at least in a way that profits us. He says, quote, In addition, if we are not learning directly from God, we will not be alert and perceptive enough to learn from others. We will be dull of hearing. So, um, you don't need to know more than someone to do them spiritual good. You just have to know God and walk with him. Second, you need to be dependent on God. Uh, the things that, that we'll be talking about, how you go about doing each other's spiritual good, they're, you think, oh, this sounds hard. Let me put you at ease. It's not hard. It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. Only a supernatural work of grace from God can make you care enough about people to do this and wise enough about what is truly good for people to do this. I should say it's impossible for you to do on your own, right? But God uses the weak things in this world and the things that, that this world says are not wise and are not mighty. No one can do anyone's spiritual good but God. We can be used to that end. As a means, we should seek to be so used. We are commanded to be so used, and I think if you're a genuine believer, you will want to be so used. But God must give the growth. Uh, likewise, as I've said before, this qualification pertains to receiving this kind of ministry from others. Uh, when you realize, depending on God, that only God can fix your problems, only God can meet your needs, you avoid uh, two errors. On the one hand, you don't become overly dependent on any one brother and sister such that you feel like your whole spiritual life and vitality is, is bound up and you're interacting with this person. And on the other hand, you don't become proud and assume that there are uh, some in the body who can't do you any spiritual good. Rather, you look for how God might seek to change you through another, any other brother or sister. So walking with God, dependence on God, promotes humility. And dependence on God promotes a healthy kind of dependence on one another. Again, if you're not properly depending on God, then you're likely to depend either too much or too little on other 
believers. Uh, finally and quickly, walking with God, dependence on God, and mutual commitment and responsibility. So we understand God's the one who brings the change, who brings the growth, who brings maturity in a Christian's life. But don't conclude then that because it's all up to God that I don't need to pursue this kind of spiritual fellowship, uh, pursue the spiritual good of others. Remember, as, as we learned in Hebrews, that spiritual fellowship is part of the means God has chosen. God has chosen to build up the body. So, in fact, the shoe's on the other foot, right? Because it's all up to God, I need to pursue spiritual fellowship. Because this is how God has chosen that the body will grow. We are commanded to exercise a watchful care over one another, to pursue one another's spiritual good that will require uh, commitment, responsibility. Bridges says this, and we must assume the responsibility to encourage, admonish, pray for one another, be open and honest with one another. Spiritual fellowship means we watch out for one another, feeling a mutual responsibility for the other's welfare. It does not mean we transfer the responsibility for our Christian walk to another person or that we assume his, but rather that we help each other through encouragement and accountability. Uh, so a quick qualification, then we'll, then we'll move on. Uh, you should feel this high level of commitment and responsibility for everyone in the body, but you will, practically speaking, only be able to experience a high level of commitment with a few. So be willing to go deep with anyone as God directs and wisdom allows. Plan to go deep with a few as, again, God directs and wisdom permits. But uh, for spiritual fellowship, take the initiative. Make a commitment to someone. Take responsibility for someone. Ask someone, um, do, you want, do you want to get together and pray sometime? Could I call you once a week and, and let's talk? Or can we meet for breakfast and talk about what the Lord is teaching us through his word? So a large part of this commitment and responsibility is just being around each other. Faithful church attendance, yes, but hospitality or bringing another with you as, as you go places So continuing this thought, uh, but at the same time moving on, thinking about how we're supposed to, to do this, spiritual fellowship with one another, um, one way I think that's helpful um, to understand how God uses us to accomplish this is through the interpersonal use of the means of grace. Um, in, by interpersonal, that doesn't mean uh, within a person, like individual. Interpersonal means between persons, like an international soccer match is not a nation playing itself, but a soccer match between two nations. Interpersonal use of the means of grace. Uh, and, and what turned me on to this was this quote in Bridges. He didn't develop it, but I think it's really profound. It's on your handout. He says, the vertical aspect of our fellowship, our union and communion with Christ, provides both the foundation I think we understand that, the foundation for the horizontal fellowship, but and the pattern for the horizontal aspect. 
So not only do we have fellowship with one another because we have fellowship with God, but we should have fellowship with one another following the example of or the pattern of how we have fellowship with God. I think this is really helpful. So let's, let's think for a minute. How do we commune with God? How do we um, have fellowship with him? How are we changed by his grace? Right? God is able to use anything to change us. But he has given us means through which he ordinarily changes people. And, and this is the idea of the means of grace. Um, so some people don't like that terminology, so I'll explain what I mean when I say this. All right, we know what grace is, don't we? Grace is unmerited favor from God uh, that we don't deserve. Um, and God's grace is not just necessary for our initial salvation experience, our conversion, justification, so on and so forth, but also we need God's grace for our sanctification, for spiritual growth and service. And God has established regular means or channels or avenues by which he usually uh, communicates this grace to us. And the first two that come to mind, the word and prayer. So as God communicates his grace to us through these common means, we have communion with him. And we are changed uh, from one degree of glory to another because we behold him in his glory. Um, so what I mean by this phrase, means of grace, is basically the same thing that Donald Whitney describes in his discussion of the so-called uh, spiritual disciplines. I think many of you have, have been turned on to this book by Donald Whitney about the spiritual disciplines. He says this, God has given us the spiritual disciplines as a means of receiving his grace and growing in godliness. By them, we place ourselves before God for him to work it in us. Think of spiritual disciplines, or means of grace, as ways we can place ourselves in the path of God's grace. The spiritual disciplines, then, are like channels of God's transforming grace. As we place ourselves in them to seek communion with Christ, his grace flows to us, and we are changed. So again, these same avenues... Of, of communing with God and of, of receiving his transforming grace. Those are the same avenues for communion with one another. The main ways we seek to build each other up, do each other spiritual good, because, again, it depends on God to do someone spiritual good. So once again, uh, the vertical aspect of our fellowship provides the foundation and the pattern for our horizontal aspect. So the main ways we seek to experience uh, spiritual fellowship is by the interpersonal, between persons, use of these means of grace. So when we share the word with each other, when we pray for one another, what we're doing, we're trying to push each other into the stream of the, the ordinary means that God uses to communicate grace to people and, and change them. We're trying to, pl to place each other in the path of God's transforming grace and commune with each other as we do. How do we do that? Um, sharing the word. Uh, and and uh, much of your small group questions will center on, on practically what does this look like to share the word and, and prayer with one another, which reminds me, because I forgot last time, we did print out the small group questions for you. There in the back. Before you leave, grab one. 
because I have about 70 copies of the one from two weeks ago in my office. I can't throw them away. My wife's like, yes, he can't. Okay. We share the word with one another. Uh, Colossians 3 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Likewise, Ephesians 4. Turn to Ephesians 4. This is a wonderful, wonderful um, passage. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 15. I'm actually going to read past what I have printed. So. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. So what is the means by which we grow up into Christ who is the head? Speaking the truth to one another in love. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each part working, each part speaking the truth in love. The whole body grows in this way. Um, quickly, I, I'm going to, to read this next part of Ephesians, and, and I'll try and emphasize, you try and notice, the way it speaks about um, the truth that we have in Christ. What is the nature of this truth that we're supposed to be speaking to one another in love? Listen to this, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. I think because of the preceding verses, what does he have in mind? Not just truth-telling generally, but, but specifically also the truth that corresponds to Jesus, which is in Jesus, and, and corresponds to godliness. Speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This is how the body grows. Uh, remember in Acts how the growth of the church is described as the increase of the word. This has always been so. The word of God has always created and sustained and grown the people of God. Right? In Deuteronomy 6, talk with each other. 
about the word when you lie down and rise up and walk along the way. We've already looked at those Hebrews passages where they say exhort one another, admonish one another, encourage one another. Remember uh, the sermon from last week in 2 Peter. He said, look, you know these things, you know these truths, you're established in these truths, and I'm going to remind you of them. I think it's right as long as I am alive, he says. He doesn't use those words. That's what he says. As long as I am in the body, to remind you of these things, to stir you up in that way. Um, and, and just to clarify, when we speak of sharing the word, I don't just have in mind reading the Bible verbatim to each other. That can mean, sharing the word can mean uh, quoting the Bible verbatim, but it can be much broader, just sharing biblical truth with each other generally, talking about what it means, how it's applied to you, encouraging, comforting one another. Uh, according to what the Bible says about God and his purposes, or admonishing and rebuking one another, according to what the Bible says about how we should live as Christians. So somehow, at some level, we, sp we speak the truth with each other. Uh, if you don't find yourself gravitating to this naturally, you say, yeah, I want to have those kind of conversations with people, but it just doesn't happen. Here are some ways to jumpstart this kind of conversation. Just ask someone, what have you been reading in the Word lately? Has anything encouraged or challenged you in your Bible times? Could I share a verse with you I've been thinking a lot about lately? I read this the other day. What do you think it means? Or even, I read this, it feels significant. I'm struggling to know how to apply it. What do you think? Talk about the sermon. Talk about a Christian book. Talk about what you heard someone say on the radio. Discuss the news or a novel from a biblical worldview perspective. Uh, Bridges, uh, along this same line, has a pretty helpful, practical suggestion. He says, some Christians feel threatened by this kind of fellowship. They feel they have nothing to share. They're terrified by the question, what has God been teaching you recently? A practical way to overcome this fear of sharing Ah, is to record daily the most important truth you get from your Bible reading that day. You may want to write a sentence or a paragraph, depending on the fullness of your thinking on that particular truth. Then arrange to get together weekly with an understanding Christian friend, perhaps even someone who shares your fear of sharing openly, and pass on to each other what you have learned from the scriptures that week. And really, that, I mean, it can be as easy as I read um, Joshua chapter 5. I just didn't feel like I got anything. I don't feel like I know how to apply it. What do you think? You have initiated the, the, the word, word work. Growth of the body will follow. Another quick qualifier. Does this mean that we should shy away from questions like, how's work going? How are the kids? What does summer look like from you? for you. Of course not. Of course not. First of all, that would make us really weird to be around, right? <laughs> but also, those questions, that's part of knowing each other. And knowing each other is, is prerequisite for caring about each other and ministering to each other. Also, I should add, the way that you answer questions like, how's work going, on the one hand, and what has God been teaching you in his word, on the other, should actually have a lot to do with each other, right? 
because the goal of your intake of the word is change and application to all the spheres of your life. And the goal of all the spheres of your life should be to please God by being like Jesus as revealed in his word. So, end uh, summary, we'll move on. Just, just take initiative. You don't have to feel a ton of pressure. You, do, you don't need to share the world's most appropriate truth. You don't have to say it in the most eloquent way possible. Just say something true and see how God uses it. After all, doesn't uh, Corinthians say our faith doesn't rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God? So again, just take initiative to ensure your conversations don't just swim around on the shallow end forever. Share the word with each other. Prayer. Uh, I won't get into this. I think it's a lot easier to understand what it looks like to pray for one another. The scriptures are filled with examples of believers praying with one another, exhortations to do so. I listed Matthew 6 there. You might recognize that's the Lord's Prayer. Um, I list that. Many have noted the, the plural nature of those requests. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And, and actually, that, that's a great practice. Look in the Bible. See how, how uh, does Jesus or Paul or another pray for someone? What are the types of things they pray about? And when they ask for prayer themselves, what is the type of thing they ask for about? Um, Again, before we move on past prayer, I want to share just something really practical, uh, helpful. Uh, in this book, Ed Welsh offers a suggestion for how we might pray for one another more effectively. And uh, kudos to Dan for turning me on to this. How to ask. Sounds practical, doesn't it? Whether we have never asked anyone to pray for us or we do it every day, the goal is to grow both in how often we ask for prayer and how we ask for it. Question one, how often? We want to ask more than we do now. That's all he says. I think that's funny. Two, how to ask. We want to ask for prayer both about both circumstances and matters of the heart that sit below the surface for things seen and things unseen. We take the skills we have learned in personal prayer and ask others to pray with us. Here's his suggestion. First, put your burden into words. Second, attach words of Scripture that capture both our real needs and God's purposes and promises. That is, we pray for what we know our Father wants to give us. Here are some examples. First, the burden. I've been feeling so tired. I feel like I'm always a few steps behind on everything. Second, attach Scripture. Would you pray that I would rest in Jesus? And of course, the scripture that shapes that prayer is Matthew 11, come to me, all you labor, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Again, first the burden. This is hard. Would you pray for healing for my daughter? Attach scripture. Would you pray for perseverance that I would be able to fix my eyes on things unseen? Another example, first the burden. I've been so impatient with my kids recently. I need help. Attach a scripture. Would you pray I will know Jesus' unlimited patience toward me so I could pass that on to my children? The burden. Would you pray I'll find work? A scripture. And would you pray I'll trust the Lord to provide for me each day rather than get swamped by my anxieties? That's the thinking Matthew 6. That can be helpful. 
um, quickly. Another way we pursue each other's spiritual good is living as and also looking for examples. You see the truth of God incarnated, imperfectly, but actually in the lives of other believers. Some of the most life-changing moments, I can promise you this, some of the most life-changing moments in your Christian life will be when you see uh, these ideas on ink and paper in your Bible lived out in flesh and blood in your brother. I've listed a lot of verses on your handout. I'll just read one. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Paul says that kind of thing a lot. Not only that. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So just live the Christian life in front of each other. Again, just be around each other. That's a huge part of discipleship. The, uh, the man who, I think, played the largest part in discipling me when I was a young Christian would just say, come over and uh, we're going to eat cereal for dinner. It's because he had like six kids. You do that kind of thing when you have six kids, I guess. Come over and uh, just be with us. He didn't have an agenda. He didn't want to uh, share a particular Bible verse for me. He just wanted me to be around and, and glean how he parented according to the Bible, how he related to his wife. He would take me to the grocery store with him. You know, I got to see him pray that God would lead him to deals in the grocery store. Conversely, um, not only pursue, you know, find people who are doing it well and, and uh, try to be around them, and, and on the other hand, let people be around you. Invite others into your life. Uh, accountability and testimony or another two check on each other either just with the the basics of the christian life the spiritual disciplines or a particular area of weakness testimony share your story of what god has done not just your conversion yes your conversion but more than that about what god is doing in, in the last week that also promotes spiritual fellowship and and the good of your neighbor okay end part one of sunday school Spiritual fellowship. Begin part two of Sunday school. Partnership in the gospel. Partnership in the gospel. So not only uh, do we pursue each other's spiritual good, together we pursue the spiritual good of others outside the church. Bridges says we're not just a community, we are community in action. We who share a common life also share a common objective. So remember that the word koinonia, fellowship or community, is used also in the sense of just a business partnership. In Luke 5, 9, um, it talks about how, how Peter was a partner, a koinonos, with James and John, specifically in the fishing business. So in the same way that uh, these, these had a partnership aimed at catching fish, then Jesus said, you know, from now on you'll be catching men, uh, we have this common objective, this partnership of evangelizing men. In Philemon 17, Paul says the same thing to Philemon. He says, if you consider me your partner in gospel ministry, then uh, receive your former slave as you would me. Philippians 1, I want you to turn there.
Philippians is the book where, where Paul develops this idea of community as partnership in the gospel uh, more than any other. Because the Philippians have entered into partnership with Paul in the gospel. Philippians 1, starting in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Verse 5. Because of your partnership, koinonia, in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul, Paul talks about this gospel partnership elsewhere in Philippians as well, uh, using different words, not jo- just those of the koinonia word family. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers or sharers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Turn to chapter 4 of Philippians. 4, verse 2. He uses still different language, but talking about the same idea. Philippians 4, verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, and listen to this description of them, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In that same phrase, these women have labored with me side by side in the work of the gospel. Paul says, using the same phrase in chapter 1, that the church at Philippi is supposed to be doing the same thing amongst themselves. Look at, back at chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, same phrase, laboring side by side, for the faith of the gospel. I think this is a helpful word picture. Um, what is our, our partnership in the gospel? We strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, which, Paul says here, is part of how you let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How do we do this? One, partnering through proclamation. Paul says about Titus in 2 Corinthians 8 that Titus, he is my partner, my koinonos, and fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. In Galatians 2, Um, Paul is talking about how he went to see the apostles in Jerusalem, and he presents the gospel that he preaches to them, and they say, yeah, that's the gospel we preach. Here's what happens. Uh, Verse 7, on the contrary, when they, these apostles, Peter, James, and John in Jerusalem, saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Verse 9, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me 
What does that mean? It's like, yeah, all right, come on over and eat, eat some barbecue and let's, uh, let's, let's hang out with one another. It doesn't mean less than that, but it means more. He explains that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So the right hand of fellowship here is partnership in the gospel. We cultivate true community as we partner together through proclamation of the gospel. And beyond this, we also partner in the ministry of the gospel through uh, pooling our resources or giving. And this is actually the way that, um, that the Philippians partnered with Paul, primarily. Look at Philippians 4, verse 14. Philippians 4, verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, listen to this, no church entered into partnership. That's the verb form of, of koinonia. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So how did the Philippians partner with Paul in his gospel ministry? Through giving. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. How profound of a partnership is this? He says, when the Philippians give to Paul's gospel ministry, they participate in the fruit. They participate in the credit that comes from this gospel ministry. This is a profound reality, right? When, when missionaries come and ask, will you partner with me in this work? That's not just a spiritual way to ask for money. That is a profound reality to share in the fruit and the credit. And I feel like I need to mention this. Remember uh, the parable of the, the widow's might. It's not how much you give relative to how much someone else gives. It's how much you give relative to what God has given you. And patches that, a passage that teaches us the same principle that we learned in Philippians 4, albeit from a different angle, is 2 John. 2 John, um, verse 10. Yeah, go ahead and turn there, since you might not turn to 2 John very often. Get some grease from your fingers on that page that has 2 John on it. Start in verse 10. <clears throat> if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. So, Time out. Quick explanation. What's going on here? Um, like Paul, and even as we see in, in Jesus, uh, uh, spiritual teachers had itinerant ministries. They would go around from town to town teaching, and uh, when you show up to receive them and show them hospitality and let them live in your house while you, uh, while you minister in that town, that you would let these teachers who come use your resources as part of their home base, as the platform from which they minister to in a town. Um, th that's what's going on. So when he says, when you see, uh, when you see 
a false teacher who comes and doesn't abide in, in this teaching, when it says, don't receive him into your house, that doesn't mean that you need to slam the door on the Jehovah's Witness, right? What it means is, don't give him $100 toward uh, his ministry, okay? Uh, don't give him any greeting. That is, don't open yourself in a way to where you provide resources for the ministry of this false teacher. Does that make sense? Okay, here's why. Verse 11. For whoever greets him in this manner takes part in the verb form of koinonia there, takes part in his wicked works. So when you, uh, to partner in giving your resources to these false teachers is a participation in his wicked works. Conversely, to partner with a minister of the gospel through giving of your resources is participation in this fruit of righteousness. Lastly, partner through prayer. Uh, Jesus himself said in Matthew 9, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In Romans 15, 30, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me. How? In your prayers to God on my behalf. Other verses teach the same thing. So again, when we think about uh, partnering with missionaries, say, and they say, will you partner with me in prayer? That's not just a way to uh, soften the blow of when they ask you for money. That's real. To, to pray for, for, for someone's gospel ministry is a partnering with them. And it's important, and, and this is what we'll close with, to remember that this partnership in the gospel is not just something that happens between like, vocational missionaries overseas and churches at home. This happens among us, with us. Uh, not us partnering with them, whoever that may be, somewhere else for gospel ministry, but us partnering with each other in gospel ministry. Remember that Paul told the Philippians, not just, um, I'm thankful for how you've partnered with me, but also, I want you to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And this is part of the true community that we should seek to have with one another. We're all uh, partners or co-investors in our own little uh, fishing business, you could say. So, so it's a joint venture in gospel ministry. We all contribute equity according to the gifts and graces given to each, and then we share in the revenues, the expenses, and the assets. How can that look? Uh, I'll give you some examples. Um, and these are not necessarily very good. You can come up with better ones, but this is just to get the juices flowing. What does that look like if we partner in the gospel together? Okay, so ask each other how the Lord opened doors to share the gospel. Pray for each other that the Lord would open those doors. When someone says, I really feel like I should share with this or that person or this group of people, or, or even if someone says, yeah, I want to share, I know I should, but I just don't have anything in the works or, or any ideas in mind. When someone says something like that, consider how you can partner with them. 
uh, in proclamation, partner through proclamation, here's some ideas. Would you like me to come with you? Could I have you and this person over to create a context where this kind of conversation might happen? Do you want me to read over or help you write that gospel letter you're planning to write them? This is how I found it helpful to share the gospel with my young children or my teenage children. Or partner in giving. Could I buy or provide a, a Bible or a track or another Christian book for you to give him? Could I send you two to a Rangers game sometime for you two to, to chat? Oh, you're trying to share with your coworker. That's great. Here, here's 20 bucks. Take him to lunch this week. Let me know which day you're going to go. I'll pray for you guys. Hey, let me send you this great resource about sharing the gospel with your kids. Could I send you and your kid that you're trying to share the gospel with to this Christian conference or concert? Partner with each other in prayer. You say, oh, I would love to enter into this very specific gospel effort, effort with you by committing to pray. Ask for updates. Encourage them. You are praying. And as you do that, you, you help put it on the, on the front burner for them. So we have, we have true community through partnership in gospel ministry. That's a marvelous reality. As we do, and then don't forget this truth, as we, we participate in the labor of each other's gospel efforts, we really do participate in the fruit and the credit that will come from each other's gospel efforts. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for how you have designed the church. It is glorious. And we say thank you. God, I pray you would help us to have spiritual fellowship with one another. Help us to have the humility and even the courage, in a sense, to seek to do each other spiritual good. And I also pray that you would give us ideas for how we can partner together um, for the furtherment of the gospel to those that you have placed in our paths. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.